You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Parma. This episode was originally recorded in the middle of 2022 during a live stream event where we spoke about writing in Korean dramas. So, I think we really need to acknowledge the elephant in the room or like the biggest K-drama writer in K-drama history pretty much Kim Yun-suk. I think Kim Yun-suk is the perfect way to start our 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 conversation <laughs> about endings, don't you think? Yeah, actually, sure. Aren't we always I, talking about her? Even when we're not talking about her, we're throwing shade we, on her. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I I agree. She has now become like the punchline for any any K-drama trope thing that we talk about. But w- what I find most interesting about Kim Yun-suk as a writer is how blase she is about being like the grandmaster of trope creation. and how she just sticks to it because she's like hey this is the formula that works you don't have to like me for it but you go watch my dramas don't you honestly i have to respect her game even though i talk crap about her a lot i really have to respect her game and you also have to respect the fact that she's been making these like huge hit dramas that were like breaking records and basically like getting the whole country back when that was actually a thing getting the whole country to sit down and watch her shows every week since like the early mm-hmm. 2000s if yeah. i'm not mistaken like this woman has done a lot in her career and so like i have to give her props for that even though like i do think that as time goes on she's getting lazier <laughs> <laughs> and kind of you know resting on her laurels a little bit but you know i mean maybe maybe she has the right to do that at this point yeah to be fair though she's made enough money yeah sure that but also <laughs> Um I haven't I didn't finish watching Mr Sunshine but what I had watched had excellent writing and they had the makings had, of epic it had a, yeah. and, and apparently it did stick the landing even, even though it was tragic which is so not my favorite I didn't know but, that <laughs> I mean now you Thanks know Thanks for ruining um, it B. <laughs> you yeah. yeah for a drama that you're never going to watch I tried so, and I planned to But yeah Evie Hyun I just I really can't with him I'm sorry Okay, but the thing is that the story itself had a really amazing reviews for the accuracy of the feeling of the time if not exactly the details of history though even the details of history were done really well which was credit to the directorial team and not just the writer. But I think the reason we soured off Kim Yun-suk so much in the last few years is because of the king eternal monarch because I thought we liked that <laughs> I did it. I mean, we did like that. <laughs> I thought Parma and I did. She's betraying me now. <laughs> it I liked it the way I liked again my life in the first eight episodes. Uh, okay. okay. While I yeah. was watching it, I was like, mm. "Oh yay, so pumped." And then a moment of reflection was yeah, like, "But it's not a drama you'd watch again." Yeah. Had a really good OST though. Really good OST. Completely. Also, damn the visuals. I mean, <laughs> I was watching because it was just so oh, so, so yeah. And Udo Hwan. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, finish your point about why you've soured on her cuz I have maybe slightly different or maybe the same points about why I've soured on her over Possibly. time. Possibly. But I, I want to hear what writing has become more languorous and you kind of see that in The King Eternal Monarch. Like mm. she's super self-indulgent and yeah. here like is where the lack of the JK yes, Rowling problem. Exactly I don't it. think it's phoning it in. I think it, it's it's the lack of any critique that you take seriously. Kim Yun-suk has reached a level where she she no longer hears 
or I don't think anybody dares tell her that, hey, this is um, this isn't gonna maybe work. cut down like uh, 90% of this because that's like a redundant story. Maybe it only needs to be 60 minutes, not 90. <laughs> right. When you're too successful too quickly, that sometimes mm-hmm. happens. I think it happened to N. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. too, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree, but also I will not. I I am personally offended that you're comparing Kim Yun Sook, who has a level of credibility that M Night Shyamalan just does not. That man has <laughs> one, maybe two projects to his name that it's somewhat okay, and then he just yeah, okay, yeah, not in the not in the quality of their work, but he got to a point where he thought he was such mm. a genius because of his overnight success that he no longer listened to anyone and he just did what he wanted, and that's just a bad place to be as a as a creative person for me I do agree that that's a problem with her work but for me the problem that has been kind of creeping up on me for longer and has been kind of bothering me more and more over time and I noticed this in so I feel like one of City Hall which she wrote in 2009 is my favorite drama of hers um I love it more than Goblin um I think it's in many ways a perfect drama and it was also very very ahead of its time and I think because it was so ahead of its time it didn't maybe do as well as she was hoping or it didn't do as well as her other dramas had and it was the drama of hers that had the most fully realized um, female character was actually really about the female character even though she had a great hero as she always had Um, and it had incredible dialogue between the two of them and she and it was like just such a beautiful development of a relationship that really felt equal and I think she basically after that because of whatever reason that didn't do as well she basically said I'm never going to write another drama like that again and and in general since then her dramas have just been very um unbalanced in that it always tends to be about this amazing hero who has a great character and like so many interesting things about him and the women just inevitably take that second fiddle to that, you know? And, and so like that has been just like a consistent theme. Like not all of them are the same, but I felt this very strongly in a gentleman's dignity. It's, I felt this very strongly in a secret, in secret garden. Um, the King I, I dropped after two episodes because I hated it. So I can't really speak to that. Um, Goblin, as much as I really loved it, it had, similar problems for me. Um, Descendants of the Sun, I just found it to kind of collapse in the second half personally. But you know, that that's my issue with her. It's like over time, her the, the heroines have just gotten sidelined and that's just become like her thing. And I just not The interesting that. thing about uh, Kim Yun-sook's heroines is that no matter how intelligent they become, no matter how independent they become, the hero just proportionally becomes even more overpowered. They just become deities, walking deities, because you yeah. can't just you can't make the man any smarter. Literal deities. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And she has this tendency to kind of always go back to that sort of those sort of regressive gender dynamics that she's been writing since like the 1990s, because I, I maybe that's just kind of because it's a formula the era that she's from and the and the and what she kind of feels that what feels natural to her in relationships between men and women. Maybe that's just what it that, is. And that, that's what she that writes. That could very well be knows. it, but also because her audience still demands that from her, because 
like all her interviews about her own writing basically hammer on that point that yes i know that there is like a power differential yes i know that the cinderella and prince story is so old school but my audience still wants it so i keep writing mm. it she has also said that i sometimes want to write something different but i also don't like the idea that my next drama will not be as big as my last drama like come on give this woman like all the awards for just like yeah. really being straightforward i mean i guess also, it uh, just on. just one i'm just going to uh, uh, again repeat what abdul is saying because that was also a point i wanted to make is that Kimisa gets the credit for the I mean some of the biggest gateway dramas the international gateway dramas Descendants of the Sun Secret Garden and Es yeah absolutely Es and also the King the King got like even before the pandemic uh, wave of new K-drama viewers started coming out as soon as the King hit Netflix a fresh wave of K-drama viewers started coming into right. the fandom that that was not because of the lockdown like you know that was the beginning so to speak but yeah it, so she she writes dramas that transcends like it it's not just for the domestic audience it transcends your international taste so to speak um and kind of taps into that primal human uh, cultural bias that feeds some of our like most toxic viewing practices <laughs> So, <laughs> yes. and I think another really interesting thing about her before I know we said we were going to get into ending. Sorry, y'all know we had talked too much. Anissa um, said it. I, the, I did not another... commit to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I would love to spend the whole day with y'all, but um, what was I going to say? Yes. Another interesting thing about Kim and is that a lot of drama writers have trained under her. And have gone on to do really interesting things because they kind of learned the whole playbook from the master kind of. And then they took it and they kind of played around with it. So I feel like a really good example of this is the author, um, sorry, the screenwriter of Run On, Pak Shihan, who like as I was watching Run On, I could recognize some of the elements of the Kim and Sook playbook. Right, You have this main couple and then you have a secondary couple who kind of is in the same universe and has connections to the main couple, but they have their own story. And the two of them are never really, you know, you never really have like a second lead who's competing for, I mean, even if it's like hinting at that, but he's never actually, you know, or like there's never really, (laughs) exactly, exactly. There's no threat there. It's just kind of a nod to the idea of the second lead. And then, yes, as you mentioned, Saya, the dialogue. And I actually feel like um, Pak Shihan took that magical dialogue that, Kim and Sook, in my opinion, was much better at 10 years ago. And she even took it to like another level, you know, but you could kind of see the DNA of that training in that show. So that's I think that's very interesting. Well, one one of the things with like Kim and Sook's like tropalicious writing is, I mean, ratings are king. At the end of the day, you write for ratings. Yeah. So if the if the trope soup is what people want, then your job is just to make it as entertaining as possible, even if you personally do not subscribe to that kind of relationship. I don't know what her right. personal beliefs are. But like, if it's going to bring in the ratings, do it, right? I can see that informing the way that that a star writer would uh, write their... Not even just a star writer, any writer. Because you can only write your next drama if you can get your current one to perform well enough for someone to hire you to do the next one. 
Exactly. Yes. And so, and yeah, I mean, that's their job as just as our job as critics is to criticize. <laughs> and that's what we do. Yes. Oh, and a, and a final, final thing about Kim Yun Sook before we, we talk about the other stuff is she's actually really open to legitimate critique, unlike, let's say, the writer of W, whose name, like, Song guys, we were just talking about her, Song Ji Jung. <laughs> She is not so cool with you critiquing how she does her dramas. Like, do you guys remember towards mm. the end of W? Yes. Uh, when everybody was like... She was very salty about that criticism. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> what you, you guys just so did not get what I was doing. <laughs> we got it. We didn't like it. It was so <laughs> condescending. It was basically like, I'm a genius and you all don't understand my genius. Oh, maybe it was her way of saving face. Who knows? Um, but what, yeah. what I wanted to ask you is that, so here's the thing, because we mentioned J.K. Rowling and I don't think either of, neither of you have read like Sarah J. Maas, um, Throne of Glass series. Um, Burma, have you? You haven't. <laughs> She's like, I'm not listening to Sorry, I'm reading the comments. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Sarah um, J. series, I, I read right. the first uh, book. The, the, I, it, the, I just couldn't after that. Okay, so one of, one of the critiques that she sort of frequently gets is that she falls, like it becomes clear as the series goes on that she's fallen in love with a particular character. Do you think like Kim and Suk does that? Like you've fallen in love with your character and you can no longer write a good story because you're too emotionally like connected. Like um, what is the word? Enmeshed. You're too emotionally enmeshed in your character's existence that you are no longer capable of making it like an objective decision about how you write that story. And I, I do feel that that comes up in, I think Song Jae-jung does do that. Not not necessarily with her characters. For her, it's her concept. And mm. I, th- I think when Kim and suk does sort of mess it up, I think the king is the, the probably a cl- the best example of this. And I don't, necessarily think it's true of her previous dramas but certainly in the king there was this level of self-indulgence of just like lingering shots and mm. actually hotel del luna uh, but that was with the whole aesthetic which is why i couldn't bear to watch that in normal speed like i loved it i really did and that wasn't her that was the hung sisters um but this the falling in love with your own work actually isn't good for your work like you need to maintain a professional distance from your work so it can be the best work. Or um, if you do fall in love with your work, make sure you have a good editor who you listen to. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all my point there. Now we can talk about endings. <laughs> Although that kind of is about yeah. endings, though, I do. Think. So, mm-hmm. I think it is. And and go ahead, Borma. A point that just occurred to me, because we were talking about ratings a second ago, ratings rules every television industry, movie industry, but especially television industry. With K-dramas, I don't think writers can just peddle slime and and just like have like a few high moments and still get the really high rating. Whereas with, I'm, I'm sorry to like crap on an industry right now, but like even though I love some of their dramas, Chinese industry 
Chinese drama industry sometimes does. If they see that the producers see that one formula is working, they will quickly churn out like 19 more dramas, just stuffing it with like big name pretty actors and try to get as much money out of it as they can. And no matter how silly the concept is, some of these have like really high ratings. And it's not like they're not discerning viewers. They are. The writing is very like minutely discussed in, in their web. But it would simply yeah. never get that kind of rating in in South Korea. And I don't know at what point or how the viewers became relatively more discerning about the quality of writing, even in their melodrama, like even in something like Penthouse, they require a certain amount of competence. Like I think the highest rated drama, uh, one of the highest rated melodramas is probably Sky Castle. And like just that is the level of drama that writers aspire to. And that was like a national phenomena. And I am sorry to say, but like some of the best writing in Indian movie industries, because we have so many of them here, simply would never reach that kind of you know, success across the country. One of the best, like the masters of writing really good movies is probably Malayalam movie industry and not the Hindi movie industry, which is what the rest of the world knows. And their movies are excellent and some of them are so well written and they would not be seen by like 99% of the nation ever. It's that access where you write something great and it is just, it's seen by every household. They tune in every single week. I don't know at what point that happened. And I think that has a high level of influence on the, on why the writing is so often really good. Like by the good writers, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. K-dramas are all great. Oh, clearly Mm -hmm. we complain about K-dramas like every episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that, is a question of scale though i mean if you think about the size of the chinese and indian audiences like you're talking about yeah. in exactly you're talking about them, like even within enormous the same nation. markets whereas like korea is like this big <laughs> so they're not writing to as many people or creating as many um like products i guess the word i want to say is chakbum um yeah, right I, I, yeah. Get, I get what you're saying. Apologies for the for the dog box in the background. Um, <laughs> is that what it was? I get what you're saying. I was like, why is she and, muting herself? Is she telling me to be quiet? <laughs> it, it's, it's been happening throughout our recording. I haven't noticed all. <laughs> so um, uh, I would agree that's probably true of Chinese uh, drama because they have such a huge number of people tuning in. However... I'm not so sure that that works with like comparison of of the Indian viewership because the Indian television viewership is a very different mass market from the Indian subscription viewership, like different in terms of uh, levels of education, socioeconomic levels, just levels of exposure and what kind of daily grind these segments of the population go through. And if you look at just the subscription population, having access to some of like the... um, writers of the highest quality, something like The Great Indian Kitchen, if anybody can, you can see it on Netflix. Is that like Watch the it if Great you can. British Bake Off? Nothing like it. <laughs> it it's, a, it's, it's a domestic story hmm. and it is hmm. insanely good. But I won't go into it. Anything I say is a spoiler. However, 
if writing like that has to happen, the writer needs to get paid really well, and they only get paid that well in a web drama. And that is only seen by a tiny population, a tiny fragment of the Indian society, which is not even comparable to the access K-dramas have to their domestic audience, where, like, listen, the fact that South Korea does have a 97% literacy rate does feed into, for instance, their knowledge of literature, folklore, the quality of writing expected from their even everyday melodrama is higher. I want to acknowledge um, Abdul's comments that um, I wonder if the quality of K-drama writing we see is a bit of a smokescreen because we are seeing a very select subsection. As foreign viewers, we often do not see the massive failures of Korean cinema and drama. We're getting a curated list that international distributors think are good enough to get rated. The average Korean viewer perhaps sees more instances of poor production, rushed writing, etc. We often only see what has already been judged the cream of the crop. And I want to, I agree with that. And I also want to add on to it that um, there's a lot of, for example, daily dramas get pretty high ratings and they are, you know, not distributed internationally because they're basically, you know, we always get annoyed when people describe Korean dramas as soap operas. Um, But those are the soap operas of Korean TV, right? Like, and like American soap operas, like, a lot of people just have them on in the background while they're, you know, doing their laundry or and they do have really high ratings um, and they're most of them are crap. Like, I'm sorry to say, like, it's just the same, you know, like we talk about like in Urdu, we'll say like sasbahu. <laughs> like it's very like very like petty domestic disagreements, a lot of filler, a lot of like very low Kim quality writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kimchi slaps. Exactly. So that it's like a totally mm-hmm. different um, and we don't even talk about those. And a lot of times we also don't talk about weekend shows. Occasionally we will, but these are, you know, the longer running family dramas that air on weekends. Those have really good ratings and those tend to be really good launching pads for actors as well. Um, and people get popular there, but those don't necessarily have the kind of writing that we talk about a lot on the on the podcast. I, I should have right? started so, my theory by saying that when I'm talking about K-dramas, I am literally talking about the web uh, K-dramas that are accessible to us. And you're not wrong, Abdul. That is probably the, uh, the cream de la cream because the producers know that this this is quality that's good enough to send it's it's export quality right export quality not just to western audiences or Mm -hmm. south asian audiences their first export was always east asia other country other east asian countries and does Mm -hmm. it work with other east asian countries and a lot of daily soaps simply would never have worked with let's say malaysia thailand and any of those Mm -hmm. countries so they but that's exactly what i'm saying the k-dramas that we review the most are the exported k-dramas and the if if let's say 14 K-drum because that's like the general number of like 16 to 20 episodes that come out, right? So let's say uh, anything between 15 to 20 uh, dramas that are produced in a month, maybe five of them are written well, or maybe two of them are written well. That is a higher rate. Maybe none of them are, but like usually in terms of quality writing, you may not absolutely love the stuff, but you know that it's watchable. Even having two to five out of 20 written really well is a higher proportion than you find in almost most countries, like the, the stuff that's coming out on the web. Yeah, I, I feel like this also goes back to our earlier point where we were talking about sort of the 
A, the sort of government subsidy of these dramas and also like that this sort of idea of exporting it and the pressure that adds and sort of the um, how that raises the audience expectations within the country. One of the reasons K-dramas have the kind of money that they have is PPL because you could see like an uptick in production value around 2016 suddenly. And the reason for that was because PPLs were, were allowed the way they are right now. Advertising has always had like a fraught relationship, like like production companies wanted to properly advertise to earn money. Government was like, no, we are not letting you do that. Like you can have like those images come up at the end of the dramas, like be like, hey, I have this product. Here's a picture that that kind of stuff. But actual advertisement built was there was some real weird rules around it. But around the 2016 mark, 2014 to 2016, they started changing a lot of like loosening a lot of laws, but that was specifically laws connected to how PPL could be conducted. One of the things that they actually tightened around 2020 was the um, because it was getting ridiculous, the number of PPLs they would be stuffing in and and how the characters would be like, "Mm, this is such good sandwich every five seconds with the the king eternal monarch. Like you have Imen Ho taking out like a packet of like preserved kimchi or something and being like, this tastes so good in his alternate universe thing. I brought it from the other world. It was getting ridiculous. So the number of um, commercials you could put in, those were regulated a little better. How much you could push a product changed. My point is that drama started doing PPLs out of a need to get money, but then they almost invented the best way to get money ever. You don't have, you'd never had this way of doing product placement in other countries before K-dramas did it. And now international brands, because they know that these K-dramas have international eyeballs, are putting in PPLs in K-dramas so that not only domestic K-drama viewers watch it, but international audiences get to watch it and they don't even have to pay any like exemptions or taxes to their own governments. Subway does it, has been doing it for years, where American audiences are watching Subway advertisements in K-dramas and Subway sales are going up in America. So I'm I'm bringing this on because this is another aspect of K-drama writing. (laughs) That writers have to use. You see that used in uh, Be Melodramatic, how inventive writers have to be in putting in PPL, how much they hate PPL being part of the writing and how much in the last episodes they stuff like 19 different products. Every other scene has, you know, the heroine suddenly using five different products on her face in the middle of like a dramatic scene. And yeah, I I just have to bring that up. Kahi stick that I'm just like, I hate seeing now. All right, final segment. Go, sir. Well, I mean, it's kind of the second to last because we haven't quite answered the question that we were going to ask about, like, how do you take a story to, like, its rightful finish? And it's, like, for me, I I think this is universal, but there are a couple of elements. Um, First, like, the question that the drama sets up, it has to finish by answering them. Like, it, it has to pay off its conflicts. It has to solve its character conundrums. And if it doesn't do that, then it has failed. Like the the fundamental reason the drama exists hasn't worked. For example, where stars land. <laughs> also, like extraordinary attorney Wu, and like any number of what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I I would agree with that, and I think also just like we've talked about this before, but like betraying that contract 
with the with a viewer. I think another show that betrayed that contract is um, one that we talked about a lot last year, Dodo So So La La Soul, which like, in what world was that ending coming for this? Like, it just doesn't make any sense for you to have planned that ending with the drama that they gave us for like 13 episodes. Like, it just made no... I am still baffled by where that came from in a show that, you know, in tone, in premise, in tropes, in all the sort of unspoken and spoken signals that you give viewers in this particular formula, that was out of so out of left field. And so like, if you, A, if you don't fulfill what you set up in the beginning and B, if you um, betray that contract with the, with the viewer, I think that's, those are kind of the two main things for me. Um, I guess the third thing is just not finishing your story. Mm, that's true. Sometimes they just don't finish the story. Vagabond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we're really doing well. Sometimes it's that they didn't think it through properly. Um, I, f- I found this happened with, um, what was Itaewon class, where it was really good. And then they sort of just lost the plot and it just collapsed or they get like too much hype and they want a second season and they're like oh all the stuff that we were going to resolve at the end we'll just push it um to the second season and so they just kind of leave it open mm. a lot of a bunch of thrillers do that like missing noir m which is an old one but totally unfinished story and also um we we cannot not mention because this is uh our first life with the last two episodes completely uh, lobotomizing our main <laughs> character. Yeah, another example I want to mention is her private life, which um, just dropped the whole concept yeah. that we loved so much in the beginning of Puck uh, Min Young's fangirlhood mm-hmm. and how that kind of, her life mm-hmm. as a fangirl, it just took a total backseat. And not even just that, just anything that she had going on took a backseat mm-hmm. to the man pain of, okay, yes, he was maybe the best male lead we've ever seen. He was perfect, but but like still, everything just became about him in the end. His pain, his trauma, even her own family's trauma became like a servant of his family's trauma. It was so, I was like, what? And then they just completely dropped that whole thing of like how, how she lives her fangirl life and how she balances it with her real life and how they interact in this weird way once her idol becomes her future brother-in-law <laughs> nothing yeah yeah so that was that, felt that was unfulfilled. Uh, disappointing this exactly. is a drama i have never talked about on the pod- uh, podcast but like times the eju young drama the one where she was finally a lead um with isojin um like it was such an interesting concept um but like halfway through it actually just became a different drama like it was this whole time thing where you know they were communicating with each other across time over five years I think um but then midway through the drama it just like it it did this sort of heel face turn thing where it just became a a political thriller not the drama it started off as Uh, it was just really weird like each of those stories by themselves would have been compelling and that second half was interesting, but it wasn't the drama I signed up for. Like, this isn't what I came here to watch. It was really strange. But she was great. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Young was great. <laughs> yeah. Liz mentions What's Wrong with Secretary Kim as another one yeah. where they just completely drop the development of the female lead in favor of the male lead. Um, yes, absolutely mm. agree. We've talked We've about that as well. <laughs> ranted yeah. about that. 
for, yes, the, hours. This tends to happen a um, lot with like Park Min Young's uh, dramas. So I think that might be like a Park Min Young drama specific thing sometimes. But also uh, more prevalent in the romantic comedy, romantic drama uh, genre where the story, the concept starts as the woman's story and then past the midway point, the story heavily becomes. So basically, the concept is the woman's story, but the climax is always the man's story, which mm. if this was an X-rated podcast, would that joke would just fly in a totally different direction. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, the next segment... <laughs> Uh, okay so uh, that's being recorded for posterity <laughs> i hope you know um uh, so finally yes what does they do use the girl is simply there to help the toxic male lead find his humanity trope that and the boys over flowers syndrome is a great name for that abdul <laughs> he <bamboozled> so, <laughs> so, all right so let's get to our like question and answer se- segment so if you feel comfortable and you'd like to um unmute yourself and like or like put your video on you don't have to you can ask your question through the chat um if you'd like to speak can you just raise your hand and we can call on you that way we'll you know have a good order um yeah let's get to questions or comments if you have a comment it doesn't have to be only questions well we have a question from joe oh. so yeah should I read it? So Joe asks, do you have any idea which tropes K-dramas invented, which then were picked up across Asian drama land? I'm wondering whether the Nuna, older woman romance, for example, started as a K-drama thing. I don't think um, it started as a K-drama thing. However, it was definitely popular popularized in K-dramas. Like it, it, they normalized it. They, they treated the story as not taboo so much as people struggling to make it okay with their family and friends. I was just going to mention like Talja's Spring, which was from 2007. Mm. Or, yeah. And it is definitely like was, and I think still is, quite stigmatized I mean not stigmatized but like it's not accepted as a social norm even now I think anywhere so I can imagine that that would have been much stronger from the, like that's the earliest Nuna drama that I can yeah, think of yeah so for my sure feeling about Nuna romances is that you know a romance is it doesn't have a lot of plot there's not a lot of meat to the plot of romance right it's just they meet they're interested in each other. There's some kind of conflict. They get together. They break up. They get back <laughs> together. Like that's so you need something else. And I feel like, especially when Nuna romances first started, that was one of the things that kind of served as a conflict. You know, in older dramas, you had the families. You had these like in the 90s, you had these like tragic multi generational sagas where like, they were adopted mm, siblings, yeah. you know, like, or, you know, like yeah. her father killed his father or his father killed her father or, you know, like there, there was a lot of this kind of um, conflict that was like a big reason that they can't be together and then they have to like overcome that. But then I think with Nuna romances, they were able to like have something that was slightly lighter, but still would be a large roadblock Um in any Asian culture, but like here particularly, we're talking about Korean culture of like, and I think honestly, like globally, it's always been kind of a thing where the man is usually the older one in the relationship. And so you're here, you, then that brings in all of that, you know, the family 
uh, kind of being like, oh, no, this isn't going to work. And you, and you have all these sort of built in conflicts. But the interesting thing to me is that like over the years, it's become less stigmatized in Korean society. And now a lot of times you'll see people on variety shows. And granted, these are celebrities. So they do live in like a different world than like regular people. But you'll see people being like, oh, like you have a younger husband, like good for you. Like the, like the, there's a lightness to how people talk about it now. And a it's common. It's more common. And I don't think that it's as stigmatized as it was like 10 years ago. And even the prevalence of Nuna romances like has gone down in Drumaland. It's not one right. you see so much because anymore. it doesn't present mm-hmm. such a it's not such a yeah. huge conflict anymore. So now they have to have like serial killer romances <laughs> or, um, you know. <laughs> That's that's what I call them. It's like a romantic drama, but then like there's a serial killer yeah. plot line. Who knows why? I think serial killers coming and like becoming part of the story is is like uh it's definitely a K drama thing that other Asian dramas adapted since that was what Joe was asking. The other trope that is uniquely K drama is possibly uh Truck of Doom. Definitely is started there. <laughs> I was watching started it. There. Started is what dude, I'm saying. I'm pretty dude, sure K drama came up with it first. Like, um, I mean, it's. I was watching. I think Life on Mars, which is from like I don't know 2006 or something, but the original BBC one, and it's it's in older British shows as well, where they just they have them, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know you had those in like English TV. That's interesting. <laughs> like shook yeah but you know about the trucks of doom though um like uh our friend anya who's been a guest on our show several times she wrote a very interesting piece um about why the truck of doom exists and the function of it has an actual literary function which is really useful when you have like somebody like you need to get rid of someone in a way that doesn't make them that doesn't reduce their dignity or integrity. So they can't, for example, die of a drug overdose or something like that. They have to be like morally still um, uh, intact, but you also have to kill them. So the truck of doom basically does away with the person you need Mm. to get rid of without marring their reputation. And young people, like killing young people, like they're not going to just like, you know, die of old age, are they? You need a way to get rid of them. Yeah, and even... And even though it's very shocking in the context of the drama, like act like vehicle accidents are a really big cause of mortality, like in most societies. Like that it's just something that happens a Although lot. Perhaps so not as it's much not as they like, happen in K drama land. Let's hope. <laughs> maybe not. But you know, like in certain age groups, dying in a car accident is like yes. the highest yeah, source of mortality, kind of, right? For yeah, some groups. So so it's like something that is not like it's not like getting cancer and dying two year mm. two days later, where like that's probably but like happens, there's a limited number of things probably like not a twenty year old can exactly. die. So yeah. Yes. And and dying exactly. in a car accident is one of them. Yes. Um Joe asks what do each of you feel has been the best written drama of 2022? I'm going to pass this over to you guys first because I haven't watched a lot of dramas in I need my watch list in front of me and it's on my other computer. <laughs> I don't know what I've watched right now. I have a few off the top of my head. Uh, 2521 um, would probably be, for me, the best written drama till now with the way the character development over time happened. Again, Listen, when I say the best, there are flaws I can start talking about right now. But why should I? I'm talking about the quality of writing. And 
definitely probably one of my most favorite of this year. Um, I had really loved the beginning of a business proposal because it felt so subversive, but I wouldn't say it's the best written, especially how uh, the drama developed after episode six, but it just needs mentioning how they blended the uh, reference to an older drama within the drama. That was like a really neat trick. And that it just, those things are what makes drama watching worth it sometimes. Like, and also the fact that they had such a great female friendship. My Liberation knows, I'm sure, Oh, Anissa would agree, was something that is just uncommonly well-written. Yes, yeah. That That's like the only one that I've finished that I would say is the best of 2022. But I just want to like, dramas I haven't finished whose writing I really did enjoy it so far is, um, uh, sorry, my mind, 2521, I agree. Also, um, Our Beloved Summer, I think that counts as 2022. I think it might've started the previous year, but it finished in 2022. Um, also, Little Women is really good so far. I know I've only watched two episodes, but the writing is strong. Um, so those I would, I would I'm, say, although I haven't finished I would them. also uh, put in Tomorrow, even though like the framework itself doesn't seem so intense at first, the individual cases that they deal with were heart-rending. And it's really hard to have a light drama do heart-rending um, in an episodal manner and, and still like really, it never felt like they treated it lightly and they treated it with like the correct level of sincerity and earnestness and that is a power of writing. Um, so maybe, you know, like there, there is my liberation notes kind of writing where you delve into individual, like a, a, a small group of people and they're, pain and then you have writing like tomorrow where you take larger societal issues and like create small stories out of it and really make it pathos driven and both are like really they resonate with you hey Abdul you have something to say do, do you want to come online yes like wait hey hey guys um yeah I was just thinking of like an earlier question I think it was Seth who brought up the the concept earlier that a drama can be bad on the DNA level of it, that it's almost like the core concept is bad. And it just made me think, what do you all think about, are there dramas that you think are, is there a difference between a drama that is good because of the performances or that it's bad, but it's elevated by some of the performances? As we were planning this episode, we had this, Anissa and I had this discussion about whether you could have a drama that was badly written but was saved by either being well directed or well acted. And I think the conclusion that we came to in that discussion was that if it's written badly, nothing can save it, not even top notch acting, because you can see the actors making the best of bad like lines. And it just doesn't save yeah. the drama because if it's bad at that most basic level, there's just nothing that can, I don't know, make it good because it's fundamentally flawed, like the yeah. premise is flawed. I remember this um, interview with, oh my gosh, what's his name? The ac the name of the actor, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, but like he gave an interview and I remember he was filming a drama or he had just finished a drama that you could tell he was kind of referencing that show without like actually coming out and saying it. Jung Ilu, that's that's who it is. He did um, like Return of Iljume, 
um, 49 days. He's, he was talking about how, like, at a certain point, if the writing doesn't give you, as an actor, like, if you can no longer understand anything that the character is doing, then even as an actor, like, you, there's a limit to how much you can do, right? Like, if you're being made to say these, like, nonsensical dialogue uh, lines, or, like, the, the character is doing things that... You know, like we've seen this happen so many times, right? And you just become lost. And he said, I just kind of lost my motivation for like, why am I even here? And you can kind of see it in their eye. Like they have this sister out of like this dead-eyed look where they're doing their best. But, and I think that maybe this question um, can be separated from the, is it still worth watching? Because I think sometimes you will watch a bad drama to the end for like one character who's just one actor who's mm-hmm. just doing such an amazing performance, Ooh. even though the rest of the drama is garbage, but you're watching it for them. So I think like, even if it's a bad drama that can't be saved, maybe your mm-hmm. viewing experience can be saved. I think that's very like individual. Judy to the viewer. I was like, talking about this with Borma a few days ago that I watched that show to the end because of the OST. There was that one song, um, which I realized later is like it's by V, uh, not V, sorry, Jin of BTS. And it's like huge and it like hit billboard charts at a very high number or whatever. But like that one song is such a beautiful song. And that is the reason I finished the drama. The drama itself, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was not the best drama. And like Joo Ji Hoon and um, Jung Ji Hyun, like neither of them could save that drama from its pitfalls. I, I, I would um, add to that list uh, Business Proposal, which mm. is a drama that ended up mm. showing such severe cracks in its writing. However, my affection for the actors, especially uh, Kim Sejong, Kim Sejong just, yeah. I had to finish watching yes. it. I, it remained. Mm. Yeah, exactly. She was sparkling. She brought life to that drama and her she never stopped trying, even when... The drama yeah. itself. Like, didn't there's it there's always those shows where the actors are better than the roles de- than the uh, drama or than the roles deserved. I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I mean, actually, frequently. right now, um, I just finished today's webtoon, another Kim Sejong drama. But I wouldn't say the writing was terrible. It definitely suffered in, in the second half. Like, it, it's a very dialogue strong uh, show. Like the individual uh, exchanges between some of the characters, especially the dialogue given to Kim Sujong, are really memorable and effective. However, really weak writing in the second half. But Kim Sujong and Chia Daniel, just, they are actors with such strength of performance. It's not like they transcend the script, they, they are above it. But like they juice out the they can best bring more possible out of it. version. Yeah. yeah. Yes, mm. yes. Yeah. So then you can elevate a mediocre script and make it good, but maybe you can't take bad writing and turn it into good. Exactly. Drama. And Nandamisa adds uh, Cheese in the Trap. I completely agree with you. Cheese in the Trap was yes, 100%. not a drama that uh, did itself justice. The actors, however, they tried really, really hard. <laughs> and you could see that. They really, you could tell. Yes, yes. That was tragic. In many in many ways, <laughs> that whole that whole drama production. And the packaging went on to to like do the film version, and I don't know how that turned out, but like it, it was okay. I, yeah. It was just it was not that it was not that memorable. There was something just cracktastic about the first half of *She's in the Trap*, the drama that just yeah. 
but again a lot of the problem was with the production <laughs> so mm. it's not specifically a, yeah. a, a writing uh, fault I, I i there is this thing that i want to bring in here so uh lay on twitter had sent us this theory about because we were talking about um why dramas have this uh, tendency of like yes breakups uh, in the final uh, quarter of the uh, story we've discussed this before like why the why the breakups happen but also why does one of them have to like leave the country so that was a discussion we were having on twitter and lay pointed this out and i just i because it was in relation to this uh, live stream <laughs> bringing this up she says that the eastern media like eastern drama tend to be influenced by uh, kishoten kesu's um, four act structure which is the sort of like derived from an ancient chinese four line poem structure and now this i've heard of before the four line poems where each of which tend to follow like acts and this is also what we were discussing before sire about like the first being like the introduction first oh, quarter i didn't know this was a thing, thing. I thought I was being smart and figuring out. <laughs> you, you were being smart. You didn't have this information. <laughs> uh, the first act having like that whole introduction to the character, introduction to the plotline thing. The second, um, sort of like an, an acceleration of events. Um, the third structure having your climax or twist, and then the fourth structure is where you like. Sorry, the resolution. Act, right? Resolution, yes, but also it's like. Um, they reconcile a lot of the things that reconciliation yeah, uh, mm-hmm. happens in act 1 and 2 and this four act structure is very popular and very familiar to people in folklore as well and that translates to drama writing and key dramas are also influenced by it now i thought that was a really inf- yeah i love that was that on twitter can you share the link that, that with us somewhere i will maybe yeah, the next absolutely. newsletter Joe has another comment. Uh, one of the favorite Korean dramas of this year was the Web uh, BL Cherry Blossom After. But I have read that. It, it, it was uh, favorite because on the surface level, it's a sweet romance with actual plot and characterization. Makes it a very creepy gothic horror, and I really wonder whether writers knew that. Do you know what? I had I needed it pointed out to me um, later on that it was while well, it seemed like a very sweet uh, romantic story about these adopted you know siblings. I shouldn't say that. That makes it sound wrong. Um, two kids growing up in the same household. It's not related at all. Um, <laughs> developing feelings for each other, but it is it it is reminiscent of a lot of gothic stories, which has that like kids growing up in the attic uh, type of storyline. It it had to be pointed out to me. B.C. Andrews. Yes. So <laughs> flowers in the attic. I, I had oh to mention God. that because that's a very VC Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, Abdul also says sometimes an actor's popularity is a death knell for a drama. <laughs> K2, for example, Ji Chang Hook, uh, Song Yuna, and uh, Jo Sung Ha can act circles around Yuna, but. Oh, Jo Chung Hook can uh, act circles around Yuna, but she is the heavy star, so gets a ton of screen time. That saps drama stole. Yes. Agreed. Sometimes the weight yeah. of an actor can be too much for a drama. Um, but usually that that is not the case with a majority of the dramas though i would say even her for instance with dramas i don't know what happens to this man um he becomes very top heavy where it's like nobody wants to like tell him which direction to go and he just steers whichever way and that definitely has an effect on the dramas he does. The thing with Emino is though his hype is bigger than his ability. So that's also <laughs> a problem there. 
Yes, 100%. So, it's 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 made him a worse actor yes, over time absolutely. in my opinion. He he I I feel like he had more life and vigor and interest to him early mm-hmm. in his career and now I think he can't like overcome the weight of his own popularity. But also perhaps so. he's like directors don't know how best to direct him. Film directors yeah. do though. They seem to have I I will watch Pachinko. I, I, I was going to say yeah. he yeah. I think he is really good in Pachinko, and Pachinko is a totally different kettle of fish than most. It's also directed by a film director, isn't it? It's directed by a film director. It's directed by a Korean American director. He is also not playing the hero, which I think he needs to stop doing. Yes. I think he's so deliciously slimy and like ambiguous. And I mean, this is, um, I think I, I remember like putting this in the, in our like, group chat that like this is the greasy kind of um self-important nasty kind of character that like even though he's been needing to play for many years um and he's finally able to like stretch his acting chops in a way that he's like his typecasting Mm -hmm. k-dramas hasn't allowed him to do which is great to see yeah Yeah. and definitely the the um trappings of like the main lead of a k-drama especially a romantic k-drama tends to make it difficult for actors to perform in a natural way. They have to be like the slightly standoffish guy who's only vulnerable in front of the heroine in very specific moments at all other times they're in full control. It it just diminishes their range of acting artificially, like externally. You can see that with Lee Jong-sook in, let's say, Romance is a bonus book. Imino just plays one type of hero, though. It's like... I think he's been typecast, yeah. he, but it's also yeah he, he has, has been, been typecast. Yeah, that's basically it. It's hard. It's also hard to know the bi- behind the mm-hmm. scenes of like how much of it is typecasting, how much of it is this actor only likes to play these mm-hmm. kind of roles. I mean, for example, in The King, he had some moments, and it's always his drama moments. Like he should be a dramatic actor, not a romantic lead. And I think that is his sort of the best wheelhouse for his skills because his best moments in The King were when he was being the king. Like that was when. The story got so interesting. His presence on the screen yeah, blew up. Yeah, and I up. couldn't stomach him for long enough <laughs> yeah. to get there. Unfortunately. <laughs> sorry, you know. Sorry, not sorry. Um, Borma, we had a bunch of uh, questions on social media that were kind of like a collection of tropes that people don't understand. Oh, I, 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 I just want to quickly go through them. So do you want to just like yeah, list yeah, those? Yeah, out? yeah those okay, are fun. So uh, Iget Boy says... Um, this particular trope. I love you, but never told you, but you can't love someone else because I said so. Is a very, mm-hmm. it, it, it mainly leads to that, but second main leads are renowned for doing this. Like, I have never told you, but like, how dare I not have your affection? But I suppose, yeah, main leads, main leads do it worse. Where, where it's like, it's like an entitlement to the female leads affection. Then you have this one. Sunita Job asks, uh, why do so many uh, mothers leave their kids in K-dramas? And why is the second lead sometimes better than the male lead? Valid questions. Um, I think the parents leaving the kids thing is, is you know what? We need to get put a pin on that because I want to read them. <laughs> okay. Um, I know this is for the sake of dramas, but uh, investigation and... Um, Fading out penal cases in a couple of weeks, a trial sentence in a one day. It can, it usually in the real world takes months or years. Yeah, that is drama time. 
yeah, why, why do writers need to do this? Also, yeah, why? Why does a, a story only have to span like four weeks? Why can't it span four months? Why is it that the writing never allows it? I, I Because they don't want it to, I think. Yes, You're, but like... Like, a lot of things happened in that time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, also about the uh, pesky for episode 14 breakup. Why do K-drama writers think that the audience wants to see the romance of the second lead couple develop when the main leads are broken up? It often feels so filler and unnecessary. Example, Monthly Home Magazine, Dora Sol Sol, Lala Sol. Did Dora Sol Sol, Lala Sol have a second lead couple? I don't even remember <laughs> that. And also... I've wiped that drama from my brain. <laughs> Extraordinary attorney who... This is actually true. Second leads uh, do tend to have like a perk up, but I suppose that's because they are trying to make sure like um, they keep the conflict going, like the tension going in a story. So this is kind of like the, the uh, okay, so there is this thing in writing where you're going, you have two parallel storylines going so that when one is having a bit of a slump, you can, you can do the meanwhile back in the ranch kind of storytelling and then you take up the second thread and, and talk a little about that. So you let the first thread sort of have its like low moments. Yeah. A plot and B plot. But but yeah. yes, they do tend to default to the second lead uh, romance couples a lot. Currently watching Hustle Playlist and it's just crazy to me. This is by uh, Fly Rosify. Um, it's just crazy to me that you've had these friends for decades, but you wouldn't share certain things that are bugging you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a lot of my questions um, is like a game of, is it a cultural thing or, or is it a writing crutch? Uh, she's specifically talking about why supposedly best friends keep important things from each other in K-dramas. And yeah, that's true. Sometimes, you know, you have these characters asking, but you know, more than K-dramas, I find this happening in C-dramas where your family or your friends would ask, hey, what's wrong? And the character inexplicably would just say nothing, where usually if you come back home and you just went through something horrible, you would just spill to your sister, your best friend. And that just doesn't seem to, that level of confidence doesn't seem to be shared between K-drama friends. That's one of the writing problems right where like drama logic has to apply when say there's something that's very solvable by just someone behaving in a way that they would normally behave and they don't and you have to watch that drama wondering why don't they do that that is a writing problem <laughs> because we have to fill a yeah. certain number of episodes that's the only reason <laughs> but yes, then you not can, you also, limited to k-dramas either you also have the dramas where they actually allow the characters to behave in a way that people would normally behave right you know one of the things that really gets me and that this requires better writing though yeah, exactly it also so, stands out it stands out because <laughs> it's uncommon you, yeah. usually you just have characters just keeping everything to themselves and having these secrets from their families that don't actually need to be secrets I'm sorry, 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 sorry. I mean, that's the mark of a good drama where you're not thinking, well, why didn't they do that? Right. Why didn't yeah. you look when you crossed the street? Why didn't you? <laughs> this is completely like not even related, but it just reminded me. You know, sometimes when you have characters that come into a room and there's something happening in the room. And you, when you walk into a room, the first thing you notice is the thing happening in the room, not the person. And they're all, they're staring at the person and the person is like staring at the thing. And it takes them like five minutes to look at the thing. And you're like, that's not what you do in real life. You might glance at the person yeah. and then you'd immediately look at the thing. And you just say, it's so annoying. But you added two extra minutes to the runtime and that was <laughs> what they were going for. Yeah. But it doesn't even, it doesn't change the runtime. It's just 
an annoying well, it's thing. The thing that we've brought up before of like the main character getting the main character treatment by the camera and the directing and this, you know, just in case you didn't know this person was the main character. <laughs> Everything stops when he walks into a room. It's usually a man, of course. Um, I wanted to read out a couple of these comments in the chat. Um, so Joe said, things K-dramas keep telling, trying to tell me about South Korea. Korea has a lot of horrific billing, workplace harassment, legal and business corruption, and lots of groups of scheming evil middle-aged men and really excellent knitwear. Do you know what? All you of know? that is true. All of I that is true. I think it's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like K-dramas, as you were saying earlier, Nisa, is that how they're on trend, but they, they also very accurately reflect what the social conflicts of the time are. Like if, for example, after the Seoul uh, ferry disaster, there were a lot of dramas that were, although they weren't like di- the storyline was not directly related, they would have like an emotional undertone that was deliberately like in honor of that grief. Um, I can't remember what I'm thinking of right now. It was... Black, 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 no, or the drama after black, one of those. But, you know, what they were trying to write to was the grief that people were feeling about government corruption, about corporate Mm. corruption. And dramas do that. I I think out of every sort of country's, um, uh, what do you call it, TV that I've watched, Korean dramas are the most critical of sort of government structures of you know the the corporate ruling classes and the like nothing is off limits in k-dramas and one of the things that i've in not enjoyed exactly but like have found very fulfilling even more recently is like their revenge dramas lately have actually allowed a different kind of revenge that didn't rely on like a corrupt legal system to get them justice. They're actually like, you know what, sometimes none of those things are going to work. You And tomorrow is an example of that. Sometimes you, what you want with your soul is direct justice and, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, all of those things are definitely um, yeah. accurate. That's an accurate well, read. I think, <laughs> I think that's all, like really tied to the very recent protest culture and like that pro-democracy movements where people were literally dying in the streets to try to, you know, bring democracy to the country. And that's in very recent memory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Philly Joanne, you mentioned Youth of May, like this, this sort of mass protest is very fresh in people's memories and it's very important to South Korean culture. And so um, there's like this underlying distrust of the government Mm -hmm. that is just there it's like baked into everything um abdul mentioned going back to the earlier question about like mothers abandoning their children which is a really great point um regarding the high rates of child abandonment in dramas there is a growing body of literature on social factors that led to very notable rates of children being taken away from their mothers in korean society such as sorry, lead to, such as unintended consequences of the citizenship law, questionable incentive systems and social norms, et cetera. Basically, a lot of Korean women are being separated from children even when they don't want to be. I would say there's also a history going back, I think, to the to the 80s um, of not only international adoption of child, Korean babies um, and abandonment of Korean babies for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, um, but also just like poverty, you know, just like, in the 80s, it, there was and 70s, 80s, there was just a huge 
like just severe, severe poverty. Um, and like from the post-war years on um, until I think the late 80s when economically the country started doing much better. Yeah. And the, the last ones that I want to read out is Severa says what, uh, waiting till the last episode for the I Like You and not getting any satisfying physical contact, just happy staring. I don't always mind that, but sometimes you have stories that do it and you've been wanting the leads to like have like a proper something, anything, just like have a second where I can see that you guys are going to have like a happy life together and you don't get it. That is very unsatisfying. Um, Ruenica does this, um, makes, uh, gives us this. Why does the car of doom? waiting by the corner to unalive the lead's parents always successfully do so. Um, her, her gripe is like with how impractical it is that the, the car needs to be like at a, at, at a running at a certain speed to always make absolutely the death kill. It's never just a slight bump. It's never them turning slowly the corner and just like gently grazing anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I get your frustration there. Um, Abdul had sent in a question that was, I thought we, we all thought was really great. So I'm just going to read that out. How do the more progressive K-drama writers balance countering existing problematic narratives in society and are appealing to audiences outside the traditional viewer and also versus the risk of offending or losing the traditional viewer. I don't know how they managed to do it, but they managed to do it. Yeah, <laughs> um, they are it's... always like of offending somebody. I think you can never please But it's people. also about the platform on which the drama is available, right? Like if That's it's, true. for example, a Netflix original, then you already understand that they will not yes. tell a traditional sort of broadcast TV drama story. Whereas, and I would argue that they don't always mm. get... A, they they do often offend people. Yeah. I mean, there are often They just choose to go with it yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, so long as they have the money coming in. Right. And being on the streaming platform gives you that freedom of like, okay, you already got paid for this. Um, and you got a lot of international money for it. For example, you got licensing fees. So you can kind of bear the brunt of that kind of criticism better than, you know, shows could 15 years ago, for example, or 10 years ago when they were on the big three terrestrial networks, which were a way more strict in terms of what you could actually portray on television, more strict even than cable. Cable was a little looser. Streaming is like way more loose, but like they would cancel things. They would get rid of things. Um, I remember it was like the early 2010s when I first started watching K-drama. There was a gay couple in a family drama, which was already like it was a weekend drama. So it's a more conservative audience. Um, and the writer did not apologize, I don't think. But the network may have apologized or like there was an apology made because people were really angry about the inclusion of that plot line. And I don't think that you would see that. I mean, time has passed and things have changed in like South Korean society. But I also think that like what you, the response you would get for something that's airing on terrestrial TV versus what's, you know, on Netflix is going to be very different. And so like the people who want to do more daring things, like we talked about DP, that would never have gotten made on like a regular TV channel because it's undermining the, even the idea of, mandatory military service for men. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you have, for example, you have a drama like Extraordinary Attorney Wu, which was rejected by the uh, one of the broadcast channels and it was picked up by smaller 
the smaller cable right. channels. Just like ANA. just like yeah. educational channel of all yeah. things. They don't even have dramas <laughs> on it usually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it blew up beyond their wildest expectations. Um, and I don't think that they expected a lot of the criticism that they ended up getting, not just the love. The next one is what is the actual statistical? So this is by Polly Favor. What is the actual statistical likelihood of being mowed down by a truck of doom in Korea? Because she's planning a trip and thinking it may be prudent <laughs> to choose one side of the road and just stay there. You can always fly back next time to do the other side. <laughs> well, you know what? If you were going from like this from the UK or something, you would probably be at a higher risk because we drive on the other side. So <laughs> you would be looking the wrong way. So basically, don't be British. Or if you are, look the the opposite way to which way you're usually looking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a real thing. Just... That actually happened to me when I came back from... I was living no, abroad for, sure. yeah, for a year. And when I came back, um, I'd been... It, it was in Egypt. I was in Egypt for a year. And I just... that was I was trying to cross the road after I came home. I just couldn't like I froze I actually froze I couldn't figure out which way I was meant to look so it can happen it can happen <laughs> next next one uh Weetins says I can't tell the person I love and am in a relationship with that I am ill running out of money struggling at work because I don't want them to worry that's that's like why is that a thing well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about like not having the conversations that you need to have right Mabel, idiocy, yeah. all of that just one more episode asks why do the lead couple always have to have a childhood backstory excellent question we've been asking that since episode one <laughs> and that's why yes yes um another one for the car of doom does the bus or car of doom come as a way of showing physical affection or just physical <laughs> touch from peter the skinship for the truck <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking not about the car of doom, but the car of near doom, which is like when the car comes close. And they close, slap their hands the, on the hood. I know. I mean, I, no, I think this is referencing the trope where like a car comes really close and the and the male lead or the female lead grabs the other person and like swings them over to the oh, other side to save them, to save their okay. life. And it's an excuse for them to embrace. This oh, is, I think right. this is what they're oh, what they're referencing. <laughs> That's what it meant. Huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah I thought sense. they were talking about like emotional contact with a car hood. Me too. Why is she even putting her car hands on the hood of the car? I'm so confused. Okay, we cleared that one up. <laughs> and finally, uh, SG Wordy asked, why don't long distance calling, why does long distance calling not exist in K-traumas? That's like, within long distance relationships, they just can't happen because nobody can do long distance calling. Video doesn't exist. Do you know, exist. I still hate, what is it, the end of Kim Samson? I just really didn't like it. Oh, yeah. Like, what? Uh, like, just, uh, it was so. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's once again, it's this like separation trope. It's the trope of like, we can't have the conversation because then the drama will end too soon. Um, and the ser- in the murders, SG Wordy said, why do rom coms got to have so many murders? Um, I guess because the <laughs> in laws aren't as much of a problem anymore. So now you've got to have <laughs> murders to bring conflict. <laughs> Also, South Korea has an obsession with serial killers. Like, they, at one point, uh, they just didn't have any serial killers. Like, as in, like, the police refused to accept that serial killing was a thing in South Korea. Nobody, it was like a political statement. You could not identify, even if somebody was like, there is a pattern here, the guy seems to stab in exactly the same way. And it's like, no, 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 they're all copycats. Isn't it the 
Kyungi Nambu Kiss was the first in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, which comes up in a whole bunch of dramas, like right. um, Memories Tunnel. of Murder, um, Signal, Bongino's Memories of yeah. Murder, uh, which is a movie, but that mm-hmm. was kind of the first big. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, representation of it in media, and then um, it's mentioned in Signal. Um, yeah, recently well. got solved, by the way. They found yeah, him. Yeah, I read about that. Um, wow. During the yeah. run-up to the Oscars for Parasite, actually. So Crazy. Bong Joon actually gave an interview about it. It's interesting. Wow. Oh, interesting. I like your comment, Abdul. Yeah. <laughs> One of us stopped to read it. <laughs> There's a really good Bong Joon-ho video on why they use serial killers. Because since they're effectively a gunless society, they need to show psychopaths that use knives because they need to be crazy enough to get in someone's face and stab them. That's true. Good point. Mm. I would say Americans are also extremely obsessed with serial killers. Um, who knows why? Actually, what, I do what, know why. I mean, they make good yeah, stories. No. So um, you're wrong about, if you like that podcast, recently had Michael Hobbs, who had left the show. He came back to talk to Sarah about serial oh, killers, and it's a great episode. Oh, and he if came you're back. sad about him leaving, he came so just sad. for this episode. But if you're sad about him leaving, as I am. <gasps> Go listen to that because it's a great episode. And it talks about this whole idea of like why we inflate the serial killer numbers so much and like why we're so fascinated with with them as Americans. Excellent. Um, Yeah. So that's my second podcast recommendation of the day. Which is called You're Wrong About. She was not saying I'm I'm sure everybody has heard of You're Wrong About at this point. It's extremely popular. (laughs) But if you haven't heard of it, that's what it's called. Yeah, I'm just I'm just checking if you've missed out any comments to answer. Um, department store collapse, Catherine. You're right. It also came up in um, what was what was that one called? Just between lovers. Just that, between lovers, yeah. also known as Rain or Shine. That did a really good job. Um, it was also part of the plot line of Reply 1997. Yes, I, I forgot that. You're right. Um, and do we miss any others? Oh, Joe says, oh, when will K-dramas ditch the second main lead uh, love triangle and just have a threesome? That's, you know, I would not be averse in certain cases. That, I mean, because you just don't want to let the second lead go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, th- I think we covered all of them. Guys, this yes, was so Thank much you fun. for spending your Sunday morning or your Sunday afternoon or evening or whatever the time of day is for you <laughs> with us. We really appreciate it. Sorry it was so long, but you know, that's kind of on brand You're not actually sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yes. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. I mean, I have to yes. pray. That's why we have to go right now. <laughs> I have to feed my dogs. They have right. been. We actually um, have family visiting from out of town and I was supposed to Go see them like an hour ago. I thought you were going to say out of space, Anissa. I don't actually have family in space. That's the one continent that I don't have family on. (laughs) So thank you, um, Abdul. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Nandamisu. Thank you, Feli, Sean. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Joe. Thank you guys for sticking with us for so many hours. I'm pretty sure we are And for so many years. And for so many years. years. However many years you spent with us, even if, or even a few months, we, we love you and we, we can do this because you all are such a lovely community for us. Um, and we really appreciate all the things that you send us. Who didn't make it, who are listening to the replay. We missed you. And we're really glad that you are at least able to join us. Um, I can't speak in the future. In the future, there you go. Because this is time travel. Time travel. (laughs) The genre of today is a time travel. My favorite genre, as we all know. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Have have an excellent Sunday, everyone. I'm gonna go feed my dogs now. Bye. 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 Bye.
사랑을 받았었던 추억들